Believe it or not, finding the right safe for your needs is an art, and the staff at Colorado Safe Outlet has mastered it. Their team takes pride in their no-upsale mentality and allow the customer to make an informed decision while never being rushed. I would 100% recommend them to a friend because you really never think about how important having a good safe is until, you know, something bad happens. They're the best brands available like uh, Superior and Champion, and they just had really exceptional service and knowledge, which I haven't really received from big box retailers in the past. The Colorado Safe Outlet is looking for a new installer. Drab requires clean record, no felonies, clean cut, strong build, and reliable transportation. Wages start at hourly, but will quickly go to salary if you're fit for the job. Please call Drew Weaver at 303-333-7233 and check out Colorado Safe Outlet today. What the fuck is this? Okay. <laughs> Try that again. One, two, three, go. All right. Well, welcome into another episode of the BSM Broncos Draft Podcast. I am your host, AJ Hayfley, alongside Andre Simone, and we are here. We've got some great questions, and then we've got some uh, we've got some crazy things going down in the uh, in in the bowl season. Yeah, that are going to force our our hand into certain conversations, and then we've got a little bowl preview as this weekend. Things get bananas. So, I will start off by saying, Dre, what's up, man? How's it going, man? Let me be the last person to to wish you a Merry Christmas. Um, yeah. yeah. And Merry what, Christmas three days to all later? our great listeners. Yeah, there you go. That's right. So, excited for this, man. You, you called it a little bull preview. This is the bull preview of all bull previews. So... It's going to be a lit show. I'm really excited. And unlike usual, you know, where we try to talk O-line and stuff, we hitting the quarterbacks. We're giving you we're giving you the big gifts nope. under the tree. There's no like uh yep. socks for you or uh iPhone chargers or stuff like that. There's no like portable portable phone chargers under the tree for you in this draft pod. It's all big hitters. So, there you go. Well, that's all good news. Uh, I know we're certainly going to get into uh, we're going to get into some of this, um, and and you know definitely have to talk about uh, what Daniel Jones did in his bowl game and why neither of us care that much. <laughs> oh boy, yep, we sure do. He forced our hand. We have to address it. Thanks a lot, yep. Daniel Jones. Yeah, well, Daniel Jones plus dudes on Twitter. Oh, yes. Who uh, who always always are like, oh, this guy went off. What does that mean? And that's what we're here for. So there you go. <clears throat> First, though, we've got a grip of questions here. So why don't we get to those, eh? Let's do it. <clears throat> All right. Question number one from Pastor Red. He says, hey, Andre and AJ. Hello. Thanks for bringing us all to quality draft material all year. I always obsess over the draft over the draft as one does too true in the off season. But this year I feel like I'm already so far ahead of where I was last year because you two already have me familiar with this class. You're welcome. On to the question. Elway hit a mood shot in last year's draft, taking guys that were leaders both on and off the field with that knowledge, which of this year's top QB prospects in your opinion 
best fit that draft philosophy, and how much do you think it will factor into Elway's decision to take a QB and which one? Thanks again. Well, well, this is where I turn the floor over to you and let you talk for five minutes. That's right. Um, and, you know, <laughs> put, put whatever you're doing to the side because this might not be a five-minute answer. You know, I think that the quarterback class is pretty clean off the field. I think, uh, you know, you've got some good leadership skills in all these guys, uh, not necessarily long-time captainships. Uh, you know, Haskins, just a one-year starter. Kyler Murray, same thing. Uh, Drew Locke, I imagine he's a captain at Mizzou. I actually should double-check this. But, um, you know, it's he, he doesn't strike me as a guy with uh, super high-end character, not that he has any off-field issues or anything like that. And Daniel Jones, a great leader for Duke, very polished. At the same time, the kid, you know, his coach doesn't trust him to play every snap behind center and insist on having a gajillion wildcats. And Will Greer strikes me as quite the hothead. So I don't even know if that really answers the question. But I will say this, Pastor Rhett. The th- the, the class was good as far as, um, you know, finding leaders and high character guys and everything. I think... That wasn't necessarily a point of emphasis with the top couple picks. I think it just so happened that Chubb and Sutton check those boxes. And, you know, you want those guys to check those boxes in the high rounds. But that's far from your priority to go after a guy with, you know, high intangibles or high character. Though at the quarterback position, that certainly matters. So... I think they're all kind of grouped together. We'll we'll be talking a lot more about off-field stuff, intangibles, IQ, uh, once the draft season hits. And who knows, we might even talk about some uh, some fun little Wonderlick scores once, once we get to the combine. <sighs> but right now, I don't feel like there's necessarily anyone that stands out above the rest as far as that goes. And... You know, I mean, the big thing here is you, you got to nail, you got to get the quarterback pick right. And a lot is going to go into that. So I got to say, starting to like this quarterback class just a little more, though. Um, I, I don't want to blow my our next segment. So, you know, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep you coy on that. You'll have to keep listening. But I am starting to be a little more intrigued by this quarterback. It's funny that you are, because I'm actually going the opposite direction with them. Interesting. Yeah, I I feel worse about it every day. I wake up and I'm like, how do I feel about the quarterback class this year? Nope, I dislike it a little more than yesterday. Wow. Wow. <laughs> My man, glass half empty, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think, I think think when it comes to this quarterback class, my glass has a chip in the bottom of, the, of it. Mm. And every time I try and fill it back up, it just slowly drains again. You like raise it to take a sip and you're like, what the hell? How did more drop? Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Okay. I mean, that's actually a perfect analogy for a certain Oregon quarterback deciding to stay in school. But again, I don't want to give away the next segment. So I'm going to, I'm going to zip my lips and throw away the key until the next question. 
Okay. Well, let's get to that question so that we can unlock the genius that is the Dre. Oh, yes. <laughs> From Nemo underscore three. Guys, I'm pumped about DeAndre Baker, as I believe cornerback is an immediate area of need and greedy should be gone around the time we select. Do you guys think he will be there, and how does he fit with cornerbacks drafted in the past? I'll let you start here because I think I'm higher on him than you, but I'll let I'll let you get into this. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've come around to DeAndre. Uh, I love... Welcome. I love that he... Uh, I mean, he's got Andre in his name. Like, I'm not going to hate on the guy too much. As, <laughs> as we know, you have a bias for all the AJs, too, so don't even laugh, you know. Uh, Mr. AJ Brown, wide receiver one in the class. We we know what that's really about. Um, so that's and, weird. And he 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 checks off all the boxes. Is what's intriguing about Baker. I think he's not necessarily that elite man corner with great length that you'd feel super comfortable putting out on an island against the NS, NFL's best wide receivers. But I think. He would fit great in Denver because he's a solid tackler. He can feel confident. He can play presser off. He'll be, you know, feisty and sticky in coverage, and you got to love that. And I think, you know, he's a he's going to have a solid first-round grade for me. Um, and I do think he'll be there when the Broncos are drafting you know, a lot depends yeah, on... You'll be there. You'll be listening to this on Saturday. A lot depends on how this game against the Chargers goes week 17. Potentially, if they lose and some other teams at the end of the top 10 win, it's not inconceivable to think the Broncos could slip in to the bottom part of the top 10. If they win, you might even be looking at outside of the top 15. Um, so, you know, if they were, like, drafting 16th, he might not be available anymore. But I think, you know, generally speaking, if they stay at 12, which is where they'd be as of this recording, then, yeah, I think I think he should be available. As far as how he compares to uh, cornerbacks drafted in the past... That's a really great question, and I think, you know, he's he wouldn't be that Marshawn Lattimore type guy. He wouldn't be that high-end, you know, stud, but I think he'd be, you know, the second or third best cornerback in most of these draft classes and would be right around that mid-first round range. Uh, so... That's kind of how I'd compare him. Uh, in some ways, he reminds me of Cheeto Wuzier, who went much lower than he should have out of Colorado. Uh, but, you know, and Cheeto had a little more versatility and a little, he was a little feistier. I mean, the amazing blitzer, and he could play yeah. the slot or outside. Uh, but, you know, that's. He would stick a guy. Yeah, he was amazing. Uh, so that's kind of. I mean, not, the, not the bigger wall, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, they're sticking a guy and there's, like, coming downhill with a head of steam and, like, caving in someone's chest, you know. Uh, so right. that's kind of the difference. Uh, so, yeah, what are what are your thoughts? Uh, for, 
for number one, what I like the most about his game, man, is his competitiveness. You know, you can get into the physical attributes. Yeah, he's a little on the smaller side. Mm-hmm. You talk about his ball skills. Uh, but I I love the way that he lives to compete every single play. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that he might be a guy that might get drafted a little higher, like in the in the 12 range, for example. Uh, because the team is going to love that. They're going to love his attitude. And that's, I think, you're not just getting a football player when you draft a player. You're getting a human being. And I think that uh, Baker, DeAndre Baker, is the kind of guy that you want to build on on defense around. Uh, You know, he may not be like a top five corner in the NFL or whatever, but he can definitely get he can he can definitely get away with being you know your number one or number two guy kind of depending, and you know his his attitude, and you know the way that he goes about his his business every single day. I just for me, I I think he's the kind of guy that helps a locker room a lot. I think he's the kind of guy that's going to get in there and and have a really positive effect on a group that has become very lackluster over the last couple of years, you know, losing, losing TJ Ward and Aqib Tlaib hurt the Denver defense in terms of their personality, as much as I believe it did on field talent. Yeah, fair. Uh, you know, as much as I like Justin Simmons, the football player, uh, Justin Simmons, the player is nowhere near, you know, the maniac that TJ Ward sure. was, you know, nowhere near that kind of, psychotic like we we you know we're gonna mess these fools up every single play you know we're gonna punish these guys you know and i think i think baker i think his competitiveness there's a lot of that to go uh to go along with a very very talented football player um but i i love so much about what he what he brings to the table um in terms of intangibles to go along with um, the football player, which is very good. And I think is probably the second or second or third best corner. I also love Byron Murphy for similar reasons. So um, just those guys, they just, they bring it every single play, you know, they live to compete and as, and I I just, I love that attitude. And especially at cornerback, you have to have that kind of that belief in yourself and that kind of swagger. And I I am so into it. I'm and I I love DeAndre Baker. I loved him coming into the year. If he ends up in Denver, that's only a good thing for them. You know, between that and building around obviously Vaughn and Chris Harris, and then you have a guy like Chubb as yeah. well. Um, there they they would you know go right back to they've got they've got the talent uh, as well as the type of individuals uh, that that win championships someday. So. Uh, I'm all about I'm all about DeAndre, man. I'm a I'm a very big fan. Yeah, well, to, I mean, to definitely his feistiness is is huge. His competitive edge is huge. Um, looking at more past drafts, I think he'd be de- behind Denzel Ward and Jair Alexander, probably in front of Mike Hughes in last year's draft, and in front of guys like Josh Jackson. Oh, which is I think I would put him similar to Jair. Wow. Well, I was higher on Jair, yeah. lower on Denzel. So, um, so for me, I mean, it'd be more of a conversation with Denzel. Um, so, but 
Well, when we first when we first tackled this, the first name that came to mind was Denzel, just in terms of uh, size and, and stickiness. Right. Um, but Denzel has definitely surprised both of us with his play in the NFL this year. Yeah, though injured some and also given up some big plays. You know, he's Denzel giveth and Denzel taketh away. I mean, that's kind of his deal. I think Baker will be more consistent. The class prior to that, Marshawn Latimer, definitely ahead of Baker. Marlon Humphrey, <sighs> bigger. Uh, you can make an argument, but Humphrey probably gets the edge. He's definitely ahead of Adoree Jackson Ugh. and Jaron Conley for me. Um, I would not. I would not have Humphrey ahead of him. Well, I mean, in retrospect, sure. At the time, I think, as people evaluated him, you know, I think Humphrey would have got the edge. Uh, he'd be an interesting conversation in the Jalen Ramsey, Eli Apple, Vernon Hargraves class and William Jackson was there too. I think he'd kind of be in the mix with all those guys, frankly. So I mean he he looks like a legit guy who'd be in the conversation to be a top pick in just about any of the recent drafts. Um yeah, and the comparison to Denzel's interesting. The big thing about Baker is gonna be what does he run in the forty? We know that, you know, it shouldn't count too much yeah. because as long as you're within like a a four three to a high high meaning like a low four five, you should be fine with what he's put on tape in the last two years. But that could be the difference in like ten positions, you know. I mean Denzel Ward was not seen as this like outstanding, legit number one uh cornerback who's gonna go in the top five before running a four three. Then he ran a 4-3, and everyone was like, eh, okay, I mean, he's pretty sick, and talked themselves into him a little more. If Baker would have run like a 4-5-2, that could hurt him a little. That could drop him some. And if he ran like a 4-4 flat, he could, you know, he could be, he could be gone by the time the Broncos are drafting. He could be like the 10th overall pick. And the Broncos are drafting 12. So that's going to be huge. I mean, we'll definitely be following that every step of the way. That's kind of part of it. And I do feel like he's more of a 4-5-2 guy than he has a 4-3-7. To just you know, throw some some numbers that might sound like jibber-jabber to some of our listeners right now. Yeah. So. I mean, if he runs a 4-3-7, dude, he's going in the top 15. Oh, no, he's going, like, in the top 7. Like, he's... He's right. Yeah. Like, I mean. like, it's not even a conversation. If he runs a 4-4, he's going in the top 15. If he runs a 4-5, he's going in the top 15. Right. right. If he runs, if he starts to get into that 4-5 range, I mean, and if he runs a 4-6, you have a problem. 4-6, oh, he's dropping potentially out of the second round. You know, so that's how yeah, big the like 40 that's... is. And I mean, between Greedy, Byron Murphy, and Baker, the 40s are going <clears> to play a big role in separating these guys. And Greedy obviously has the size advantage, but, you know, if Greedy, you know, there might be some character concerns, and if he, something goes wrong with his testing, he could drop. Byron Murphy strikes me as the fastest and quickest of all those guys who could have the best three cone, the best agility test, and the best 40, and that could really vault him into 
maybe even being a dark horse cornerback one. So study up on all those cats, uh, kids. So Nemo 3, there you go. Long answer for you. Congrats. <laughs> we should give out the long you, you, answer. You the right. We should give out the long answer award after every show. Like, well done. You earned the long <laughs> answer award. So, but we still have someone in the running. So it it might not be won by Nemo three just yet. Let's see. I feel pretty good that it mm-hmm. will be because you'll. Uh, our guy JD Fry has oh. question at per usual and says Andre. Let's keep beating this dead horse. Who are your favorite head coach candidates that are currently in the college ranks? Are there any dark horse candidates? Thank you. I mean, yes and no. So Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley, obviously. I mean, the more um, I, I've kind of, I'll admit, I've been a bit of a Lincoln Riley hater in the past. I've I've been burnt by <laughs> Chip Kelly. Um, so you know, I'm a, I'm a bit more guarded by these uh, quote unquote offensive innovators coming to the NFL and, you know, I feel like he inherited a great program. So we might be giving him too much credit for what's going on at Oklahoma, but rewatching more Kyler Murray tape. Yikes. What that offense does is unbelievable. I'm talking like play actions, play action, fakes, RPOs, um, even just like outside runs where two offensive linemen to the side that they're about to run the play towards are pulling in the opposite direction and completely confusing the defense and just, you know, like big play machines. I think his stuff would work in the NFL. The thing about Lincoln Riley is he needs a Sean McVay type setup where he is the head coach kind of in name alone. He's really the offensive play caller and, you know, OC and then he has a veteran defensive coordinator who does everything on that side of the ball. You know, so, and I mean, that's a formula that's worked. So I'm not against it. And I mean, he'll probably stay at Oklahoma. He'll be in big demand. I don't know if he'd be intrigued by the Broncos when there's, you know, coaching jobs like the Browns with Mayfield, the Jets with Darnold, the Packers yeah. with Rodgers. You know, those jobs where a quarterback's already in place. I'm going to go coach Chris Kratom. Exactly. Uh, (laughs) So Lincoln Riley. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Never mind. Never mind. That's a. Oh, boy. Who's the Texas Tech coach? I'm losing my mind. Um, Cliff Kingsbury has coached Case Keenum in the past, but that's besides the point. Next would be David Shaw. Former Texas Tech coach. Right. Former Texas Tech coach. Former Houston offensive coordinator where he coached Case Keenum. David Shaw out of Stanford would be the top guy for me. Now, I know people will say, well, Stanford's kind of vanilla. We don't want that. We'd want that new, new college offense. (coughs) This is a guy who's been groomed under Harbaugh, has been winning, uh, was there with Luck, was Luck's offensive coordinator, big part in his growth and development when he was that can't-miss prospect. Um, And Shaw, I think, could come to the NFL Everyone thinks just like Harbaugh, okay, he's going to be this basic, like, pro-style offense. And then he does stuff like the the way he uses his tight ends, the way he can put his quarterback on the move and implement more RPO stuff, the way he did instantly improve the running game, the offensive line, and do things that Harbaugh and Chip Kelly were doing 
where you're moving your offensive linemen around and you're kind of manipulating uh, running lanes. You're, the C gap all of a sudden becomes the B gap and you're adding a C gap with this pulling guard outside and doing stuff like this, which isn't necessarily revolutionary. But it's the kind of wrinkles you can add to make the offense a lot more successful and a lot just funner to watch. Uh, Harbaugh's also going to be in that mix. I don't think he'd leave Michigan. I mean, why would you when Urban Meyer just left? I think Urban Meyer might very well coach in the NFL in the next couple of years. I don't think it'll be this year. Um, and then after that, I don't think they're necessarily dark horse names. They're going to be in the mix, but they're not the mainstream names we just mentioned. And Chris Peterson, to me, is a mainstream name, the Washington and former Boise State head coach. I think he'd be amazing. He's another offensive you know, background kind of guy. NFL teams and college teams are using his plays. He's a guy who developed Ryan Clady into the great player that he was. He's a guy who really stands out. Chris Peterson is always amazing when he has more than a week to prepare for a game. Rarely is one of his teams going to, you know, lose or not play, not surprise you, even if they're the underdog. Um, He's just a guy who's like a smart play caller will stick in that trick play when you least expect it. Um, and just really runs a sound program on both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, preparation is sublime. Those are the, the main candidates as kind of dark horsey guys. I know, um, Dino Babers out of Syracuse is someone that RK, That's RK my and guy. I have talked about in the past. Yeah. Uh, you know, has that Baylor background, so that air raid uh, almost beat Clemson this year, beat him last year. Uh, so there's a lot to like on his resume. I frankly don't think he's ready. Um, he, I'd be underwhelmed by that hire. Pat Fitzgerald out of Northwestern, solid guy. He'll be in the mix. Matt Campbell out of Iowa State, he'll be in the mix for sure. Uh, dude, I mean, everyone talks about these offensive innovators, this, that, and the other. Why not Michael Leach, the pirate? I mean, out of Washington State, I think that guy deserves a look. And, I mean, that offense that the Chiefs like to run elements of because they have Mahomes, that's that's his thing. Everyone drooling over Cliff Kingsbury for a week when he was available. It's like he's running... Mike Leach's offense. What are we talking about right now? Mike Leach is the dark horse of all dark horses. Uh, I mean, he rubs lots of people the wrong way because he's kind of a conspiracy theory and hothead, and he's the pirate. But you want? Well, and he's he's a maniac. Yeah, he's absolutely a maniac. I mean, he got kicked <laughs> off of Texas Tech for kind of running like a, you know, I, I, I mean. When you Google it, it's going to be, say, like, an abusive program towards student-athletes. I mean, I think it's kind of one of those where it's, like, you know, harboring a bit of a, a rough working relationship. But, you know, and the thing about Leach is he'd have to find a veteran DC. Like, what I said about Lincoln Riley applies to him, and he might be a harder personality to work with. And another name you'll hear tossed out there is Matt Rule, current Baylor head coach former uh, Temple head coach. And those Temple teams were really great when he was there, especially defensively. 
but you know, a defensive coach from college, uh, that's not what we want. We want, we want that cool offensive coach. So there you go. Uh, Jared and Jared DM'd me, uh, just recently with another question, but we're going to talk about it in segment two. So listen in Jared. And sadly, Jared does not win the long answer award. I tried, I tried so hard, but, uh, that goes to Nemo three. All right, let's go ahead and take our first break here. Uh, I feel like we're all winners when you drop the knowledge on us, Dre. Wow. Wow. So nice of you. So 20% of that sounds pretty sarcastic. So I don't know if I should be offended or not. <laughs> not not oh, at all. Man. You know, you know, hey, I'm your biggest fan. It's true. I do. It's a, it's a Saturday show. So we like to have fun. That's and we'll right. be right back next segment. Yeah, this is uh, uh, our first break, so we're gonna reset here, take a take a a quick break, and giggle to ourselves about our ridiculousness, and uh, we will be back on the other side to get into some quarterback stuff. So uh, don't go anywhere. It's the PSF Broncos Draft Podcast presented by Total Beverage. Are you in search of natural relief from your daily stresses? Well, Strava Craft Coffee is a CBD-rich, hemp oil-infused coffee that is non-psychoactive, helps reduce pain naturally, keeps those coffee jitters away, and so much more. I started drinking it because I had degenerative arthritis, and I would prefer to drink coffee that has natural ingredients in it for healing, and this coffee treats the inflammatory process that happens from having degenerative arthritis. That was Robin. She's been drinking Strava Craft Coffee every day for months now, and she is so happy with the results. I would recommend it to America, to everyone, because it is a fantastic product. It delivers, it does what it says it's going to do, and it's amazing. Put your body back in balance with Strava Craft Coffee and see how good you feel. Order online today and use promo code BSN2018 for 20% off. That's BSN2018. Welcome back in segment number two here at the PSN Broncos Draft Podcast. I am AJ. He is Andre. We are us, and we are here to talk about quarterbacks. Yes. Maybe the most popular topic in all of Broncos country over the last three years. Yeah, no kidding. Denver's inability to find a long-term solution at the position means we are once again talking about them, potentially looking at a quarterback in the first round of the draft. Yeah, Trey, kind of a strange class right now. It feels like it's, well, let's just start with Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert, Oregon quarterback, yep. widely considered to be one of the first two guys that was going to be off the board. Yep. Officially announces that he is staying in school for another year. Good call by him, I think, um, mm. just in terms of his development. Um, but he probably would have gone. <laughs> pretty highly in this draft. Yeah. Without without Herbert, what does this class look like? I mean, we're going to be waiting on pins and needles to see what Kyler Murray does. And it all starts with Kyler Murray needs to light up Alabama to start off with in this national semifinal that we will be previewing in the next segment. So listen in for that. 
because yeah. if we are without Herbert and Murray, yikes. First off, Haskins will have made himself a ton of money, and we will look pretty smart because we've been pumping up Haskins for a grip now since like that TCU game week three of the college football season in early September. Um, but no, I mean, it's it's going to look ugly if you take both yeah. those guys out. If Murray does declare, I think it, it salvages itself because guys like Drew Locke and Daniel Jones have managed to raise their stocks. Will Greer's out there. Easton Stick has raised his stock, the North Dakota State quarterback. Um, so, you know, there, there's some guys, Brett, Brett Rippon out of Boise State's there. I still think it's a class with pretty good depth and some intriguing talents at the top. I'd say it's like uh, it's in that C plus B minus range, which you know what is what I would have told you about that Deshaun Watson Trubisky Mahomes draft class. So sometimes what wow. looks like a B plus or B minus C plus class turns into a, a little better than that. Trubisky, Trubisky, and Watson were always destined for stardom. You knew that. I mean, I don't even. <laughs> Two, so, okay. Two years Maybe in. Maybe he did not know that. Two years in, I'm not sure that Trubisky is just in for starting. <laughs> Mind you, I'm saying this in Chicago, so I got to kind of whisper, but uh, yeah, like, heh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> such a hater. Not, you, always, mean, you always call me the hater. This is definitely you. You know. Santa brought me some haterade. What can I tell you? What am I going to do? Not yeah. He brought it? you a whole grip of it, man, <laughs> and, and you're you're drinking it by the glug glug glug. <laughs> you got to stay hydrated. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm I I think don't you think it's kind of comparable to that class? Like if Murray declares, you've got <clears throat> you've got a guy that's a. a Heisman winner, but the fit is uncertain. Murray Watson is kind of that guy. Uh, you know, let me Haskins let me is your Trubisky, and Mahomes is like Drew Locke, like Boomer Busty. And then you've got more depth than that class had. Don't don't say Mahomes is like Drew Locke because now people are going to be advocating for actually taking Drew Locke. That's fine. I mean, in a second, I'd be, I might be advocating for it. Who knows? So, okay. Well, let's let's talk about this? Drew Locke. Like, okay. yeah, let's just do this because there's been some questions. There's been interest. That's right. <coughs> and frankly, I think the kid sucks. So, wow. um, jeez. Um, yeah. So. Here's the thing. Drew Locke's been uh, consistently my third quarterback in the class and <laughs> stays that way even with Herbert's decision because I'm just swapping Murray in for Herbert. Um, and, you know, he we've, we've kind of – we talked about him a lot at the end of last year. We talked about him in the preview this year. We've talked about him throughout the season, you know. The, the non-conference games went well for him. Then the start of SEC play was like, eh, his numbers aren't great in a loss to Georgia, but I thought he showed some small improvements in key areas. And then he ended on 
Like, wow, he pulled through some big wins against Florida and Kentucky. Even though his numbers weren't spectacular, credit to him, he played pretty well. Now I think we really need to get into him, and believe it or not, that's what I did in preparation for this show. And I gotta tell you, watching more of that tape, and especially those two big games against Kentucky and Florida, I don't think the guy's that far off Justin Herbert. He's Herbert's a little bigger. We're talking about like 6'5 over 6'4 instead of 6'4, which is what Locke is. Herbert's a better athlete. They both but Locke isn't that far off. Locke is more athletic than I think he gets credit for. Um they're both they both can be madding, maddeningly inconsistent. Uh but the Locke's shown flashes of the accuracy is there in the short to intermediate. He's improved a ton against uh, you know, in his ability to go off of his secondary reads and when pressure's bearing down, because when we talked about him, you know, before the season started and last year it was like eh, he's kind of Blaine Gabbert, he's kind of Mason Rudolph. Like he looks like the top quarterback in the class when he's thrown to his first read, and he can look not that great when he's doing things other than throwing to his first read. So that's concerning for an NFL quarterback. The he has and that's that's the thing that kills me about him, man, is that there's not a lot of progression going on. There's not a lot of polish See, in his game. I think he's gotten a lot better at uh, you know, under pressure and going off of his secondary reads and his accuracy's there. The thing is the guy has all the arm talent in the world, right? But deep ball accuracy isn't great. That's probably the the part where his consistency needs to be better. And this is something I heard from Mizzou people earlier in the year. And I was like, wait, what? Drew Locke? You, you don't like his deep ball? Are you crazy? Like, that's what Drew Locke does is he, he throws a nice deep ball. It's everything else that you shouldn't like. But the more I watch him, it's like, yeah, there are... He throws some dimes, but there's also times where it's like, man, you, you probably should have made that throw and you just barely missed it. He needs to improve on it, his it dr- touch. Yeah, go ahead. I think I think the ball drifts on him. Uh when he's when he's got sidelines involved. I think I feel like he doesn't use I feel like he doesn't consistently give his receivers an opportunity to make a play on the ball. Yeah. And that he tends to he tends to use the sideline almost as a crutch where he's in his mind. He's fine if he overthrows it in the sideline mm-hmm. um, instead of instead of getting it in the field of play, because then, you know, if he makes a mistake with it, it's not getting picked. Right. Right. Which, depending on how you're looking at it, is either really good or really bad way to look at it. Right. And he does actually have a pretty nice uh, touchdown to interception ratio, which. Playing in the SEC with Mizzou, you know, I'll take it. But and and I agree. I mean, there's just something about his deep ball accuracy, and you're you're probably right. It's especially to the sideline. That's just it needs to be better. It needs to be more consistent. That ball placement needs to be better. But his velocity, his arm talent is really intriguing. And his like zip and velocity and tight windows over the middle of the field. It's there, and he can throw it on the run, too. He made a throw against Florida that's over the second level, so like over the linebacker that's over the top, and right before the secondary, just 
slinging it in there. That reminded me so much of one of those Justin Herbert throws against Stanford that we were going bananas over. But, you know, it's against Florida in a game where he threw for, like, just over 200 and two touchdowns. And, you know, Florida's an well, amazing honest question. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, well, that was that was my question was, how do you feel about the Florida defense this year? I mean... Because depending on depending on how you feel about that group of, of players, you know, that might change. Right. You know, how big that assessment is. I mean, I tell you, short of Haskins beating Michigan, I definitely think Michigan was a better defense. I, I'm unless I'm forgetting someone, Kyler Murray, you know, and this will change Saturday when you listen to this or maybe after you've listened to this because Kyler Murray will face Alabama. Kyler Murray hasn't faced a defense as good as Florida. Haskins has faced one in Michigan. Uh, Daniel Jones has faced Clemson. Yeah, he he, absolutely murdered Michigan's defense. So, you know, doing that against Florida, though, that's legitimately the second best defense that any of these top quarterbacks have faced. Um, and, oh, and, and, and he did I mean, a nice lock, lock bad against Georgia, bad against, uh, Alabama, uh, bad against South Carolina. Yeah. But you know, bad against Kentucky, Georgia, see Kentucky. I mean, they get the W and he's managing that game. What I've appreciated <clears throat> is I think he's shown some maturity in knowing when to pick his spots and taking what the defense gives him. And he did that against Kentucky. And Kentucky was another like high-end defense in the SEC this year. Uh, so, you know, and, and I mean, it's it's just so hard because the talent level on that, on that Mizzou offense just doesn't stack up with a lot of those SEC defenses. But he still managed to keep them competitive. I mean, they're in a bowl game. They had a decent record. They finished strong and beat two teams that were highly ranked. So, you know, I don't know. I, I think I think he's a harder evaluation, but I think we got to give him credit for having done some really nice things. And he checks off a lot of boxes. I'm telling you, he's improved in some key areas. Is he as good a prospect coming out of Mizzou as Jay Cutler was Vanderbilt? Oh, boy. I mean, that's a pretty good comp because they're both like sec bottom dwellers so like tougher to evaluate well because you're talking about well his 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 matchups you know his his teammates talent wise aren't matching up and i i mean for sure i agree with you um you know obviously they're not at the level of some of these other programs in the sec but my concern is that when he went up against some good ones some like some good ones you know, the Florida game is is the anomaly there and not the norm. When he's got a string of games in a row, you know, where Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama. That's that's the string that really bothers me. See, the South Carolina one is the one that bugs me more than anything. The other two, it's like, eh, I mean, what'd you expect? Man? You, well, but when you're talking about first round quarterback, I expect him to play like one. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, I think he hung tough in that Georgia game. I really do. I think the team hung tough. I don't think he played well. I thought I thought yeah. of those games, I thought his teammates uh, 
you know, did a good job in that one. Right. And there were I felt like that was a good team effort by by Missouri. Sure. And there I mean, there's definitely stretches in that Georgia game where it got a little ugly for for law. I mean, I agree on that. Um, but, you know, and the other thing is that arm talent. That felt like the game where I gave up on him. I know. I know. And it was so early, too. And I was kind of like, eh, yeah. you know, they, they beat Florida. They beat Kentucky. We, we might not want to give up on Drew Locke yet. And you're like, eh, done, over it. Uh, and I think yeah. We, and, like, obviously there's some bias there. But we've got some prospects. For me, man, I. For sure. Well, and that's that's another thing is that we've been hearing about oh how how great Drew Locke is forever, right? You know, right? Like oh he's he's such a tantalizing prospect and like his his numbers are solid in college. Like there's nothing wrong with the guy that you know goes out and you know it, the the disparity between last year and this year is interesting. You know, going from 44 touchdowns and 13 picks to 25 and 8. Yeah. And dropping 800 yards. Right. And the average goes down by two yards, but your completion percentage goes way up. Yep. And so it's like, what's, you know, what what's driving the differences in those offenses? I'd like to go back and I'd like to see, you know, there's because there's a big difference between a guy that's going to throw 40 touchdowns and 25. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I mean, you know, and even in even in college, that's that's a huge gap. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, and I think a lot of it comes and, to he became a little more responsible and had to take what the defense gave him, and I think they're so that's that's where you're putting that you're giving that you're giving the credit to maturity and better decision making. I mean, to some extent, I also think that the offense was ran differently and they weren't taking as much as many shots and may not have had as much speed. I tell you what, a more interesting thing than his stat drop-off is has the record improved from a year, from last year to this one? I believe it has. Well, and that's, you know, that's, we only talk about that in court with quarterbacks, right? Is there any other position on the football field where we talk about the team's record? I mean, it might get mentioned here and there, but no, probably not. Probably, I mean, realistically, no, not really. It just seems like one of those, like, a, you know, in hockey, you do it with goaltenders. Uh, in sure. in football, you do it with a quarterback. Right. You know, we in baseball, you we're do assigning it with wins to guys. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're assigning wins to individuals in team sports. Right, right. Which, I mean, when your performance does affect the win or loss a little more than others, in some, to some extent, that's fair. So, I mean, I'm coming around to Locke, and I do think, you know, if he was in that Oregon offense in uh, the Pac-12, I don't think, I think the hype train would be pretty similar to what the Herbert hype train looked like. I think they're not that dissimilar, him and Herbert. In fact, I think his... I think he's progressed more than Herbert has this season because Herbert kind of fell off at the end. And Locke instead showed me a little more maturity, and I think that's what's got me intrigued by him. So, there you go. Where would you take him right now? Yeah, I mean, that's the tough question. Is Despite all the nice things I just said, I would be scared to death to take him in the top 15. 
I'd f- I said top of the second round. I mean, that'd be ideal. I think it's not realistic. I'd be okay with taking him from pick 25 on where it's like, eh, we have a top of the second round, but we're going to trade up. And at least, you know, we have a fifth year if it comes to that. You know what I mean? Like that seems more yeah. realistic. And and that's always super important when we talk about uh, quarterbacks. quarterbacks at the end of the first round, that, that contract wrinkle is more important for quarterback than any other position. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, insanely more. Yeah, for sure. So that's, and that gets guys over. We'll get guys overdrafted constantly. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Totally. Like right now, how, how glad do you think Baltimore is with their decision? Oh, it's amazing. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, you take a swing, even if the quarterback isn't great, you're still, but you know, he's a serviceable starter. You've made out like a bandit because you have a starter at a huge discount at the most pricey position in the game, and it allows you to add a really nice team around him that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. You know, I was looking at it. Case Keenum's like the highest, the lowest paid starting quarterback that's not a rookie. And, I mean, that's kind of insane. And what's funny is, like, with all, even with all of Case Keenum's issues, there's value in that. Yeah, totally. Totally. Like, there's value in the fact that he's the cheapest starting quarterback out there. Right. Although this is this is not the podcast to get into Case Keenum. No, far from it. It is especially because I don't know what you guys were doing uh, on Christmas Eve. <laughs> oh boy! But I was I was eating a ton of sushi in Vegas. So yeah, well we were watching the Broncos. Well, I was too. I was watching with a huge Raiders fan at the oh, at the okay. sushi bar who was like going crazy every time they did anything. Should be, and I was like, God, I hate Raiders. Should fans, be said, dude. AJ was in Vegas for work. This wasn't like AJ's, yeah. <laughs> AJ's Christmas tradition. Yeah. He goes to Vegas <laughs> and eats sushi and watches the Broncos game with the Raiders yeah. fan. Like, wow, yeah. our audience just went all out on you. You know, the opposite of all in, just all out. Like, done. Yeah, they just turned the right. show off. You're dead to me, AJ. They're saying like, <laughs> let's give my man a break. He was he was on you know he's my boy's working here. So, but it's true. It was it was there for work detail. Exactly. Well, this isn't the. I just made the most of it. Yeah. Hey, you got to. And uh, while this isn't the podcast to talk about Case Keenum on, it sure is the podcast to talk about Daniel Jones on. He went off against Temple, even though for some reason David Cutcliffe, his head coach, trained the Mannings. Basically, his biggest selling point is that Cutcliffe is his head coach, insisted on Wildcat snaps in the red zone and out of it, where they also threw a pick. So, I mean... I don't know. Anyone who tells me Daniel Jones is good because of Cutcliffe's offense will also have to explain to me why that head coach, who's such a guru and great offensive mind, and I agree with you on that, 
did not trust his veteran quarterback to get the ball under center every single snap and instead was giving it to wide receivers and running backs in wildcat looks. That aside, great game, 423 yards, five touchdowns, throwing it deep nicely, nice touch, though not in tight windows. What concerns me about Daniel Jones? Great pocket presence, getting better and better on the run. I think he's an underrated athlete, underrated thrower on the run. Good enough accuracy, really nice touch, really nice poise in the pocket. What concerns me is his accuracy can be inconsistent, and he's not good in tight windows. And I think the big reason in this is when he drops back, back foot hits, and what you want a guy to do is back foot hits, put your weight on your front leg, and let it rip. His back foot hits, he's putting all his weight on that back leg and throwing it like this, and his ball placement and accuracy suffer, especially to the sideline and especially in tight windows. And I don't know, you know, I'm I'm not paid six to seven figures to coach NFL quarterbacks or college quarterbacks for that <laughs> matter. Um, so I'm not sure that that's the sole issue here. And it's as simple as like smacking him on the helmet and being like, hey, Daniel, you know, you're doing this. Could you please just transfer your weight to your front foot and you'll suddenly become more accurate? Um, you know. Daniel, you know you're right. doing this? Right. Um, you know, the other thing to me is Daniel Jones's uh, arm power isn't necessarily out of this world for a guy who has damn good size for, for a prototypical NFL quarterback. And actually, I didn't even mean to go into a full scouting breakdown. That's just from the game against Temple. Um, so, you know, great showing. In my mind, this doesn't raise his stock significantly one way or another. I think he's kind of competing with Will Greer and Brett Rippon, who I'm probably higher on the most as being the, um, gosh, Herbert screwed up my math, the fourth quarterback. No, the yeah, the fourth quarter, well, depending on what Kyler Murray does, the third or fourth best quarterback of this class. I don't think this game against Temple changes that one way or another. Though, you know, in that race against Greer, Greer decided not to play his bowl game. Jones did, and Jones went off, so he's got all this hype. Credit to him. Good call. You know, there is a reason sometimes to gamble and play your bowl game and not get injured, and it works out. I would like to point out one other thing here that drives me crazy when people talk about Daniel Jones and it's the Cutcliffe stuff. Yeah, lay it on me. So, serious question here. Uh Uh-huh. Do you know who Romaro Miller is? (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Okay, so you've never heard of Romaro Miller. My first guess is, like, he's one of Master P's kids. Like there's little, <laughs> little Romeo. He's little Romeo's brother. It's Romaro Miller. That okay, would be my so first guess. My second Romaro guess. Romaro Miller. Uh huh. Go ahead. What's your second guess? He's a. He's a former Duke quarterback. Would be my second guess. Do you know who Ethan Flat is? <laughs> no, and I don't have any witty Master P reference for you on that one. 
What about Thaddeus Lewis and Sean Renfrey? Oh, Thaddeus Lewis sounds mad familiar. Why do I remember yeah. that name? Okay, because wait, these are was, all his other was, quarterbacks. He was Thaddeus Lewis was the quarterback of uh, Duke back in 2009. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, aside from Eli and Peyton Manning, who, spoiler alert, might have been pretty damn good even without Cutcliffe. Yeah, do you know who Anthony Boone is? Yeah, yeah, him, Anthony Boone, I do remember. Duke, Duke do you TV. remember Thomas Sirk? No. I mean, I remember my buddy is a Duke fan, like, <laughs> trolling me and talking up Thomas Sirk like he was something, but no. It turns out your buddy was wrong. Oh, yes. And the whole David Cutcliffe thing might just be a Manning thing. Right. Which, you know, again, uh, you you could have given, you know, some coaches that are considered to not be good in retrospect, the Manning kids. And, you know, they might have also made that talent work. Well, do you remember a couple years ago when Bill Musgrave was a genius because of the work that he was doing with the car kid? Of course I do. And now he's in Denver with Case Keenum and people are like, this guy's incompetent. Right. Right. Is there maybe a possibility that quarterbacks are making not very good offensive coordinators and or coaches look good? Huh. Interesting. Interesting. And, like, David Cutcliffe's a fine coach. I mean, the guy no wins more often than he loses no at Duke. At Duke. Tough program to handle sometimes. Right. Like, that's no small feat, yeah. given the academic standards at Duke. That's Absolutely. a big deal. Yeah. And, you know, it's not the basketball team. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, for him to for him to produce the way that he has at Duke, you know, impressive. He had a good, he had a good solid coaching career at Ole Miss, too. But outside of the Mannings, he's never really been connected to quarterbacks uh, who have been anything, man, anything special at all. Right. And I mean, again, that's not to say Daniel Jones isn't good because Anthony Boone wasn't good. It's just pointing out, let's not overrate the Cutcliffe thing. And right. Again, that's that's 100% my point is just that. When people are like, oh, well, but the, the, he's working with the Cutcliffs and he worked with the Mannings. Well, there have been, what? He's been, he's in an, Right, he's been coaching. He's been a head coach for. Years. Yeah. He's been a head coach for 18 years. Uh, a head coach for 18 years. He had three years with Eli. Right. That's 15 years without another quarterback. Yeah. You know, and if Daniel Jones becomes number two, then okay, Daniel Jones becomes number two. But then you're talking about two quarterbacks in 18 years. Right. And so let's, you know, the Cutcliffe thing, there's lots to like about Daniel Jones as a prospect on his own. There's lots to not like about Daniel Jones as a prospect on his mm -hmm. own. That David Cutcliffe is his coach doesn't do a damn thing for me. And I fixate on things, but I'll, I'll repeat it one last time. He does give snaps to Quentin Harris, the smaller, more mobile quarterback on their team, who basically acts as a wildcat quarterback. Why would you do that, David Cutcliffe, if you believe in Daniel Jones so much? 
You know, like Daniel Jones has size. He can run. He's a good enough, good enough athlete. He can throw on the run. Why would you give this other guy snaps if you were a huge believer in Daniel Jones? Don't use the Cutcliffe card because right. Cutcliffe himself doesn't fully believe in Daniel Jones, or he wouldn't do that. So, yeah. All right. Okay. Any other final thoughts on Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, Justin Herbert, the three quarterbacks of this segment? So many, but we have a long time from now until April. So I'm, you know, I'm going to save a few. Yeah. I'll save yeah, a few it, takes. I'll save a take. And we have we have a lot of tape to watch. So, yeah, these, these are final evaluations. Um, so. Let's just touch on this real quick. Uh, Dexter, not to Marcus, Dexter yeah. uh, Lawrence. Yeah. Was suspended with a positive test? Yeah. Um, you know, for violating the uh, banned substance list. It's not being disclosed yeah. what substance I know that was. I read that it uh, there was a B sample that they were going to have to... Uh, yeah. That occurred. Uh, it did it? It did. It did that happen today while I was traveling home? It happened yesterday, I believe. And... Um, and yeah, that also came out positive. So he is officially suspended from the Clemson game. It's a huge bummer because we won't get to see him in a national semifinal. Um, yeah. But I don't think, like, we got to <clears throat> see how he tests at the combine and if he has a shot at the natty, how that goes um, before we overreact to this. But. His stock was already dropping a little bit. I know you told us all, uh, AJ. So, you know, our apologies to you for not believing you when you brought this up in like October. Uh, but his stock was already dropping a little bit. This will only hurt him more. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, uh, I, I would love, you know, what if we could get Kyler Murray round one and Dexter Lawrence round two? Boy, wouldn't that be amazing! All right, don't talk dirty to me. Not in front of the, not in front of the listeners, Andre. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and dip out of here. Segment number two. This has been a long one, uh, per usual, with us because we like to talk. Um, and then we'll be back. We've got a full bowl preview to get to. Yeah. In this next segment, if you're listening to this on Sunday or Monday, you may be less interested in this. Yeah, true. But uh, if you get to it before you watch bowl games, this is good stuff. So don't go anywhere. This is the BSN Broncos Draft Podcast presented by Total Bev. We will be right back. What's up, guys? Ryan Konigsberg here, and I got to tell you about the Blake Street Tavern. It's my favorite sports bar in town, as evidenced by the fact that we had our fantasy draft there. It's where I watched Super Bowl 48. It's where I watched CU win a Pac-12 basketball championship back in the day. Uh, it's the place to be for any sporting event. It's the biggest bar in town. I always joke you could land a 747 in there. It was named the National Sports Bar of the Year in 2017 by Nightclub and Bar Magazine. It wins Best Sports Bar in Denver seemingly every year from Westward, anyone else that's voting. It's the place to be. Uh, they've got great specials, and the food is out of this world. I recommend the nachos, the green chili fries, uh, the buffalo chicken wrap. You name it, they've got it, and the location is perfect. Just two blocks north of Coors Field, and they have parking. So go check out the Blake Street Tavern. 
And welcome back in. Third and final segment here of the BSM Broncos Draft Pod. I'm AJ. He is Andre. You know what's up. Yep. We are here. We're going to run down the uh, big-time bowl games, exactly what you want to watch in those matchups, since we know you're going to be sitting around watching all these games. Uh, so let's. Uh, we don't need to dilly-dally here. Let's just get right into this. Let's get into Florida-Michigan, because I think, you know, I, I asked you earlier in the show what you thought of Florida's defense. You a fan? Yeah, but I want to get into some of these different matchups because I love I love the one that you have singled out here at the top here. Uh, Chase Winovich against uh, Juwan Taylor uh, or uh, Montez Ivy. Yeah, huge matchup. Taylor especially has tons of hype. How can he perform against one of the better um, pass rushers in all of college football? Will be huge. Because, you know, even though Juwan Taylor is the right tackle on the Gators, he's he's got some legit uh, round one buzz. And some people, you know, even talking about him as a top offensive tackle. For that to be true, you got to show up in this bowl game. And that's going to be big time right here because uh, Winovich is no joke. And sadly, Rashawn Gary won't be playing. But Winovich and that rest of that, uh, Michigan D is going to test these uh, Florida offensive tackles big time. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I'm I, like I've really taken to Chase Winovich uh, as just as a prospect. It's sure. not necessarily a a guy for for Denver, of course, because it's uh, like yeah. at, at some point you got to chill out on the edge rusher thing, bro. Right. <laughs> Unless like but, Chubb can play tight end on offense as well or something. You you got to address <laughs> other areas. Right. So, uh, you know, and, it, and of course, getting to see two, uh, two offensive linemen like Taylor and Ivy against a high quality, not just Winovich, but a high quality defense in general in Michigan's. Uh, that'll be a big test for them. Big time uh, thing for, for all of us to keep an eye on. Um, especially because we will be talking about offensive line heavily throughout the entire process, including draft day. So uh, let's move on down. Uh, Linebacker watch. What you got? Yeah, I mean, Devin Bush for Michigan is a beast. He'd be amazing on the Broncos. Perfect Uh, sideline to sideline, undersized linebacker, but just a tremendous athlete and super feisty. I don't think you know he makes up for what he what he's lacking in size and spades. Uh, doesn't concern me at all. And you know he's probably going round one or early round two. So if the Broncos were to get him, they'd have to snatch him up early round two and hope he slips a little. But Sean Joseph though for Florida, not as as hyped, not as spectacular an athlete, but would be a really solid linebacker to kind of fill out that rotation. And, you know, you look what the training staff's been able to do with a guy like Todd Davis, who's looked faster and better in coverage this season. If they could do that with Vashawn Joseph, you could have a legitimate, like, high-end starter on this defense. So those two middle linebackers, either side, you know, depending on what team's on defense, will be really fun to watch in this one. Yeah, I... uh... Man, I'm 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 really looking forward to it. I think it's gonna be a good time. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um. Okay. Any anything else you want to touch on in this matchup in particular before we move on? 
No, I mean, Florida has an amazing rotation of edge rushers, but as Broncos fans, not super interesting. They do have this yeah. nickelback slash safety, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, who, you know, by like day two, ideally day three would be intriguing. So watch him. I believe he's number 23 on the Gators. All right, we'll move on. We've got uh, some national semifinals coming up. Oh, yeah. No big deal. Yeah. No kidding. Which one you want to start uh, so, with? Dealer's choice. Orange or Cotton Bowl? Let's start with Cotton. All right. This one's all about the defense. Um, obviously, on the D-line, Christian Wilkins is a guy for Clemson that we'll be really intrigued by. As Broncos fans, Jerry Tillery for Notre Dame. Really, really talented interior penetrator. And them going against like that Clemson left tackle, Mitch Hyatt. We haven't talked about much, but quietly getting some hype, uh, that'll be intriguing for sure. Okay. Sorry, my brain just turned off. No, you're all good. I'm just I'm just thinking about watching the uh the defensive lines get after you in this game. That's gonna be crazy. And I feel kinda bad for Mitch Hyatt, like he's been He's been pumped up, right? And right, and then like his whole career. Yeah, and Cleveland and Farrell. It's, it's gonna come down to this. Yeah. <laughs> Cleveland Farrell's gonna lay the smack down on him. It's gonna be pretty impressive. Yeah. What I'm really intrigued in this matchup is the two cornerbacks. Like outside of the top three that we talked about a ton in segment one, I think Trayvon Mullen for Clemson and Julian Love for Notre Dame. Their top cornerbacks on you know for the two teams. Might be the fourth and fifth best corners in this class, and maybe we're underrating them, and they should be in that mix. Uh, that's you know, considering how important the position will be for them for this off season. That's really what's got me intrigued about this national semi for Broncos fans. And uh, you know, you've got some great linebackers here too: Kendall Joseph, who's kind of poor man's uh, Devin Bush, Trey Lamar, more of a thumper for Clemson, but he moves well. And I really like Tevon Cooney out of Notre Dame, and I like that others don't like him because he might be available, say, day three. I think he could be a very, uh, you know, intriguing linebacker on this in this game and in this draft. All righty. Well, let's just keep going. All right. I'm looking at the clock and knowing that we're racing it, so I'm like, how much how much do I want to engage on this and how much do I want to just keep rolling down right, the list? Right, right, right. Cuz there's so much to get to in the next couple of uh next couple of weeks here, so Yeah, and I mean um, the fun thing is we can dedicate a full show to analyzing all these matchups, so whatever we didn't touch on or get to talk about, right. we will in a week once this game's in the book. Well, and especially not knowing when people will listen to uh the show, right. and, you know. Right. So okay. Anyway, uh, Orange Bowl. We've got Oklahoma, Alabama. Wow. I mean, I mean, just pick, just pick a matchup. I mean, you've got Tua versus Kyler at quarterback, right? Right off the top. Right. You've got you've got the wild card of the 2019 draft versus the top guy in the 2020 draft. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you've got Quinnen Williams, who came into the year as a guy none of us were talking about. Mm-hmm. Wasn't even really expected to be a huge part of Alabama's rotation. Now he's a top five pick. Yeah, I mean, ahead of Ed Oliver for most guys. And 
and him and all his buddies like Isaiah Bugs and Raekwon Davis and Anthony uh, Jennings and Christian Miller, like all those great pass rushers and the interior D linemen are going against the best offensive line in the country led by Cody Ford, who to me is the top interior O-line prospect and has some like hyping him up as a top 10 prospect. And he's the right tackle on Oklahoma because they've got this other guy, Evans, as their left tackle and their guards are pretty damn good too. And then you've got Marquise Brown, the best wide receiver in college football this year. Well, in this year's class, going against Jerry Judy, who's probably going to be the better, you know, a better wide receiver prospect than anyone available this year, next year. Um, you know, you've got guys like Mac Wilson and Deontay Thompson, the interior linebacker and safety for Alabama, going against a super creative offense and all the like misdirection they do prior to the snap. And oh yeah, you have Jonah Williams, the left tackle for Alabama, who's a really intriguing prospect for the Broncos as well. This is like the NFL draft bowl of all bowls. This is that game we'll be referencing and rewatching easily, like super conservative estimate 10 times this offseason. Without even blinking, like just because it's like, oh man, what did Mac Wilson do in that game? Okay, gotta go rewatch it. You know, after I've already right. watched it twice for two and Kyler, and then I got to watch it for Cody Ford, and then I got to watch it for Quentin Williams, and you know, it's never stopped. It never stops. So it's going to be really fun. Yeah, I uh, Jonah Williams is my guy to watch. I feel pretty comfortable with most of the matchups, uh, but keeping an eye on Jonah Williams and knowing that Denver's going to be in the market for offensive line help and that. Maybe Jonah Williams is a right tackle. Maybe Jonah Williams is a guard in the NFL. Yeah, you know we we'll we'll see. But you know what what he does, I think, in the playoff is 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 going to be huge for him moving forward. Right, and sadly Oklahoma doesn't have like elite guys to challenge him. But you know if they make yeah. it to the Natty, watch out because uh, especially Clemson will have you know, all that he can handle and some. So that's kind of the Saturday bowls. Then Monday I, I tagged as a QB watch day, but I'm, I don't know if you wanted to say anything more on those Saturday bowls. I'm kind of jumping. Yeah. Let's, um, let's at least touch on. Uh, yeah, they're not great. I mean, there's not much to analyze, yeah. but it's like there's Stanford Pitt. You want to watch KJ Costello. And there's some talent on both those teams, especially at running back and what have you. Michigan State, Oregon, yeah, like, you want to watch Herbert. Yeah, and then Mizzou, Oklahoma State, you want to watch Drew Locke for, for, for right. sure. Um, NC State, you want to watch Ryan Finley. Northwestern, you want to watch Clayton Thorson. You know, it's just keep an eye on 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 quarterback depth at that right. point. Right, and it's it's fun that like you can spend Monday's going to be New Year's. Yeah, you can spend New Year's Day like going through all <clears throat> these different quarterback tiers, you know, and kind of being like, oh, day three, I might like Thorson, but definitely not day <sighs> two. And it's right. like ah, Ryan Finley. Mm. Late round two, okay, nothing more than that. And it's like, Drew Locke, eh, I don't know if I buy the hype, you know, and slowly but surely. You watch Herbert and Tua, and you're like, eh, maybe I will wait for 2019. Like, you can have lots of fun, like, inner monologue draft conversations. 
And I don't know if the Tuesday bulls are worth talking about. Will we be recording Tuesday? Will we not? So much to figure out. It depends on how uh, Black Monday goes as well, I'd imagine. So, boy, yeah. so much up in the air here. So, fun, though. Fun. Fun bowl season. It is going to be fun, and you know, um, we'll keep the preview a little short, but we'll keep the uh, we'll make sure that the 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 review is nice and lengthy as we look back on these games. Oh yeah, uh, next week. So uh, I'm not sure what the schedule will be or when exactly we will be back. Uh, obviously, Broncos, uh, you know, the, the 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 big team will take precedence um, over what happens in the next few days, but we will be back at some point, of course. Um, and, uh, oh yeah, we'll have and tons then to talk about the entire off season. Yep. Right. Right. So I can't wait. Thanks buddy. After a long trip for doing this. Yeah. Uh, it was a long day. I'm ready to go to bed. Yeah. I bet. I love you for it, man. And, uh, thank you all for even more questions this week. And I expect that'll just keep amping up until we get to April. So appreciate you guys. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and get out of here, buddy. I'm excited. It's going to be another fun, uh, another fun draft season is here. Uh, now that the games are starting to wind down, so let's uh, let's let's get out of here for the day. Let's do it. All right, thank you guys for listening. Uh, as mentioned, we're not sure when we'll be back, but hopefully uh, it won't be too long. I'm sure it'll be next week sometime. So yeah, I'm guessing deal. Tuesday probably as usual. But it, if it's not, it'll be some other day, and we'll get on a regular off season schedule from there. Yep. So. And looking forward to that as always. Uh, This has been the BSN Broncos Draft Podcast. We will see you guys soon.